0: Hello, you mindful mamas, and welcome back to another episode of the Enlightenhood Podcast, where I share real motherhood stories and empower the soul of the mother through mindfulness and spirituality. I'm your host, Lena Lemos. One of the reasons I created Enlightenhood was I was really sick of small talk, and my soul was just aching to have these deep and meaningful conversations with other women. And it has just been one of the most amazing experiences curating all these really powerful stories. And Becca, I am so proud of you today for your willingness to be vulnerable and open with your story. And I just want to remind anyone listening to this podcast episode, how much power there is in your story and how much power there is in your vulnerability. Because if we continue just sharing this shallow rhetoric of motherhood and womanhood, we're not doing ourselves any good. We're not helping anyone else. We're not growing. We're not learning. We're not feeling supported we're not creating community so i urge you today to consider being more vulnerable and as much as we talk about vulnerability in this community i've realized in talking to family members and other women that vulnerability doesn't come easy and it is not a natural thing for most people to just open up and be raw and I am just so humbled that this platform is such a safe and beautiful space to do that. And I am so grateful for all the women who have come on this podcast and written articles for com that are just so raw and so vulnerable. And I thank you for sharing your story and helping us shift the conversation and the consciousness surrounding motherhood because we are doing good and we are creating change. And this is just such a powerful movement to celebrate motherhood through this lens of mindfulness and vulnerability and spirituality and just talking about the ways that motherhood just rips open your soul because these deep universal emotions and spiritual experiences are what is going to create this connectedness in motherhood that we have seemed to have lost over the centuries. And again, I'm just so grateful that this platform is helping to create a community that really just empowers vulnerability and like I said today Becca she's just so open and vulnerable in this episode and sharing her catalyst moment where at 18 she was given an ultimatum to stay with her family and be a good Christian or leave and go out on her own and Her story is just such a beautiful journey of self-awakening and self-discovery and healing the relationship we have with our parents and recognizing them as humans who also have emotional baggage. And again, if you're listening to this, I urge you to consider the power of your story and the power of vulnerability. And I hope Becca's willingness to just share it all with you is just such an inspiration that we are not alone in this complicatedness of womanhood and motherhood. And we all just have such beautiful journeys that are going to reach and touch so many other women. So here's Becca.
1: So, okay. So, so catalyst moment for me, I'll go into that and then we can kind of go into everything leading up to that. Um, cause that's kind of what I ended up reviewing. Um, as I started hitting these catalysts. So for me, it was like summer, early spring time of 2014 is when like the first domino got pushed, so to speak, (laughs) and they all started collapsing. Um, So just to give you kind of a little bit of a background on what was going on with me, I had a little bit of a mommy blog happening at the time. I had a, like, I had secured a pretty good following on it. Um, I was living in Auburn, Alabama, and I was working at a coffee shop. And um, I was married. I had been married for about seven years. And um, I had my daughter Ocean, who was, gosh, she was about five at the time. And then my daughter, Luna, who was like two, three. I have a Luna. Really? Yeah. Aww. I
0: was just going to say, I love the name Ocean because it's so nature element and I have a Luna. Yes.
1: Oh, I love that you have a Luna. What's her middle name? If you don't mind me asking. Wild with a e Oh, I love that. I love that. What's yours? Celeste. Ooh, very yeah. star
0: themed. I love it.
1: Yes. And we're watching Big Little Lies and I don't know if you watched it on HBO. Oh my God. So good. But now I'm like in love with her middle name too,
0: because of Celeste on there. So that was my French name in French class Celeste. So that is also near and dear to my heart. Yes. (laughs) Anyway, anecdote moment. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, okay.
1: So that kind of gives you that. And, and um, also I was 24 at the time. Um, so, so yeah, so basically I'm at this point in my life where I had already started, there was numerous issues within my marriage. Um, it was pretty toxic. Um, and I don't blame my partner. Um, we were both just really young whenever we got together. Um, and I feel like there was a lot of patterns that were playing out, um, and patterns that existed beyond us. You know, it felt like very karmic, a very karmic union, a very, um, like we came together to learn some things and to kind of finish growing up together. Um, and at that point I was getting really, um, just, I was just really unhappy in my life and ready to move forward with things. And I had tried to, um, separate from my partner several times, but ended up always coming back because we were kind of caught in the cycle of me being the caretaker. And, um, you know, every time that he would, um, cause he kind of exhibited like, uh, like borderline personality disorder sort right. of behaviors. Um, and so we, it was very classic where he would have an episode. Um, I would like swear off of him and be like, this is it where I'm going to leave. And then he would cry and I would hold him and we would, you know, be like, okay, we're going to make it, we're going to make it work. But it was just, you know. Very much caught up in these cycles that we weren't even like conscious of. you know I knew something was not right, I knew this wasn't healthy, but it, you know that was also after seven years and two children, so we were really enmeshed in each other's struggles, mm-hmm. um, and we both came out of homes that um, had their own set of uh, unhealthy behavior, particularly in relationships. Neither of us really knew what a healthy relationship looked like so um, so I, I really just stuck with my guns one time and, um, decided to leave. And so I, you know, told him that he had to leave. And from there on out, this is when for me, the catalyst started happening because I knew once I decided that it was time for him to leave and I wasn't going to participate in the pattern of the making up after breaking up, that it was, it could get particularly violent or it could be scary. Um, and it did, it did get pretty scary for a moment. Um, so while I was navigating all that, I was also trying to like hold down this job (laughs) and be a mother and maintain my social life. Um, and everything just kind of fell apart in my life. Um, and later that year in October, um, the only job that I had at the time, which was working at a coffee shop well, I say the only job that I had at the time, but I was also, um, waitressing at another, um, place in order to make a little extra money to pay for my divorce. Um, and I went to a meeting one night and basically my boss ended up kind of putting me on blast and, um, kind of making me the scapegoat for everything that was going wrong at, at the company. And to basically fired me in a group meeting. Wow. And that was kind of the, the last blow for me because everything had kind of been hanging by a thread, but you know, I was like, I will have my job. I have my job, like I'm making money and you know, I'm getting by and I can keep doing this. Um, and the job for me was more than a job too. It was like all of my best friends worked there. We were very much a family of sorts. Um and we were like the banded together. Like we were the only like real misfits um in Auburn. Auburn's a pretty straight laced conservative community. So we were the we were the weirdos. <laughs> so <laughs> when I got fired, I got ostracized from that entire community. Um, And I I still, to this day, don't really have clarification as to what was really happening, except that I think that she was going through her own things. And I just happened to be the, you know, the scapegoat. And, um, so regardless, that situation really sent me spinning. Um, and so I don't know, during that time, I just kind of went into, you know, slowly started going into this shell. And now I really feel like I was starting to build up my cocoon, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, And starting to really retreat away from the world because it was like everything that had given me meaning or identity had been stripped away from me. Um, I had stepped away from my blog because I didn't want to like blog about how my marriage had failed. Um, You know, and I'd lost my close friends. Um, and the only, the only solid throughout all of this was, um, <clears throat> my now partner who I feel like was the angel in my life at the time. Cause he kind of swooped in sometime late July, um, and ended up being like my only <laughs> like confidant and, and person during that time that I could really rely on. Um, so I don't know. During that time, it was like, I I really, like I said, I went into my cocoon and uh, that was like the darkest times of my life. And and also some of the most intriguing, like I started really um, getting in touch with my magic, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Uh, It was the first time that I started getting into like tarot and astrology, like all those things that always held interest for me. But I was so busy doing other things. And I thought, you know, one day I'll get to it. And then in this, like, dark place in my life, it was like, those were the only things that seemed relevant anymore. <laughs> like, the only thing I wanted to do was figure out if there was some way for me to figure out what the hell was going on in my life, you know. Um, and so this all led me into... <sighs> Really having to face my past. Um, I am the oldest of seven girls. Wow. Um. Yeah. Seven. Oh my goodness. Seven. All girls. And growing up, every single adult, like I remember as a kid, being so uncomfortable because they would always ask my parents, like, "Are you guys trying for a boy?" <laughs> and as girls, once we were old enough to understand what they were implying, we were always like, "Oh, oh God, <laughs> why in front of us?" Um, but yeah, so I was the oldest of seven girls and, um, my parents were both, um, I don't know, like, I, I don't want to imply something that it wasn't, but the way that I was brought up was almost, almost cult-like, um, cause my parents had this very specific, um, way of doing things. Like we were homeschooled. We weren't allowed to listen to secular music as it was called. We had to listen to Christian And only things that that were, like, okayed by my father. Um, And then um, modesty was really heavily enforced. So I remember at a very young age, my sexuality, my body were two things that were really heavily, um, like, monitored. Um, And I, I just remember, you know, like, the typical experience of, like, going to get clothes. I always had to try things on for my father. And they had to, like, pass certain tests um, for modesty. So these were just things that were like, you know, from a young age, I realized made me different from everybody else. I was always really self-aware and just really wanted to be able to fit in <laughs> and not stand out so much, but it was really hard not to stand out when you have seven, <laughs> well, there were six yeah. of us at the time, but, uh, you know, seven girls walking around, um, and We had like the church minivan and everything yeah, that we I drove to. Say, so, how did
0: you get places? <laughs> the church
1: minivan. <laughs> I, that was, and that was the whole thing too. I remember when I got about driving age, my mom would be like, "Are you ready to drive? You want to drive?" And I would be like, "I do not want to drive this. I am not going to be seen driving this." <laughs> so. So yeah, so I started really, you know, in this period of my life, I'm really reflecting on like what, like what was happening, you know, like what, what was going on with my parents? Cause I'll, I'll fast forward a little bit here. When I was um, 18, um, my daughter's father and I, the man that I was later divorcing, um, we had met, um, and we were dating behind my parents back because my father kind of had this idea that he was gonna pick somebody for me to marry. So we're dating behind my parents back and then basically the whole thing blows up in our faces and both sets of parents find out what's happening. And um my dad, you know and I, and I don't hold this against him. I know at the time that he was operating As best as he could from his perception, his life experiences. But he basically gave me an ultimatum and basically told me I could like resubmit and become like a really good Christian or I could leave. Um, And so at the time I was like, I'm going to leave because I didn't understand. I was like, there's something wrong with me. Like I just don't fit into this. I don't fit into the way that you guys want things to be done. And I was in this mindset of like I'm just gonna have to accept that I'm eventually like gonna end up in hell because I'm a terrible person and I might as well like live my life while I can, so to speak. Um so I ended up leaving with my then boyfriend who later became my husband. Um and that was something that I had really avoided dealing with for a long time because it was so painful. Mm -hmm. Um, especially given that, you know, growing up, we had been isolated from most people, most social situations. Um, you know, we really only went to like other homeschool functions and, um, hung out with other homeschoolers. Um, and so leaving was extra painful because I was leaving behind, not just my family, but like my sisters were you know my only like true friends um so i i felt like in a sense that i was abandoning them as well so it was really something that i had tried to kind of like squish down and bury um and just pretend like it didn't happen and i didn't talk about my family to hardly anyone um and i was i was virtually ostracized whenever i left um so not long after i had my oldest daughter so i had ocean whenever i was 19 Um, And I was still kind of under this impression. um, And I think I was just so eager to get out of my own home and create my own family and my own sense of normal that I thought it would be, you know, it made sense to me to go ahead and start a family with my boyfriend at the time. And I remember him being like, I don't know if this is a good idea. And me being like, yes, it is. This is the plan. It's going to be fine. And I look back and I'm like, that poor 19-year-old boy who was like, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> so, So we did. And I... Uh, and he was the one that suggested the name Oceana. I was I was very against it, but then it grew on me and I'm so glad that we went with that name now. Um, cause I love it suits her so well. Um but yeah, so I, you know, I threw myself head first after I got pregnant. I was like, I'm gonna be such a different parent. I'm not gonna parent the way my parents did, like I'm gonna give them so much freedom. And I just read every single like child psychology book I could get my hands on. And through all that, I would have little moments where it was like, I would really start to understand why my childhood and the, the certain things that happened, why it was detrimental and why I was feeling things the way that I was now. And I started connecting dots back to my childhood, but it was still really painful to look at. So I channeled all the information I was getting, not so much into looking at my own past, but more into how I was going to raise my children in the future. And, um, and I, I was so radical. Like I wanted to even have a home birth, like unassisted at home. And my, my mother-in-law got to me and was like, listen, just, let's just do hospital this time. And maybe your next time you can do it at home. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> so, so we had her at the hospital and it was, it was a pretty traumatic event. Um, you know, I, I knew a lot about birth given the fact that I was like up until the last minute, pretty convinced that I was going to birth at home. So I had been like really studying and, and felt very prepared for everything to come. And then when I got to the hospital, it was like, everything was out of my hands. Mm-hmm. Um, cause not only was I, you know, 19 and everyone looked at me like, a typical 19 year old. Like I had no idea what was actually happening and etc. cetera, but I was also on Medicaid. Um, and so I feel like there was such a stigma attached to me in the way that I was treated. And, uh, I ended up with three epidurals. I tried to go natural, but they, they ended up like starting me on Pitocin and everything to induce. And then the pain got so intense that yeah. I finally was like, I'll do one epidural And my doctor gave it to me completely wrong Um, and it didn't take. And then he gave me another one and that one didn't take. And then he gave me a third one and then it was like they all took it once. And it was like my body just, I was so out of my body the whole time I was birthing. Um, So I just remember there was so much sadness around that time in my life. And I just remember feeling so disconnected from my daughter as I was holding her and I think that was more, I, I I think that was still something that I had been running from. So this was another theme that came up for me whenever I was in this cocoon, you know, and reflecting back over my life. It was like all these things that I had just been in survival mode and just dealt with. Now I was at this place where it was, there was stillness and I, there was no more running. And I just was having to sit and, and face all these things. Um, so. Not long after I had my daughter Ocean, Um, my husband was in school at the time and he was um, working towards his degree and I really was just throwing myself into motherhood and I I started the blog that I, it was called My Little Loves at the time and it became my little outlet. Um, I just remember feeling very ostracized in many ways, um, you know, from my family at the time, but then also just as a 19-year-old mother in a college town, I felt like there was nobody I could really relate to because um, I was at such a different time in my life. Um, and so let's see. Two years later, yeah, two years later, um, my marriage was really on the brink. And um, my idea at the time was like, if we have another baby, it's going to be fixed. <laughs> so. <laughs> So we immediately tried to get pregnant again, and we did. And hence Luna. Um, And this was actually, it was actually such a, like, of course, I don't regret it at all. I'm so grateful. Um, But I truly feel like that pregnancy, like, saved my life. Um, Because I I feel like I got to reclaim my power in a lot of that. Um, I was in such a better mental state. And I had had a job in between pregnancies and had a lot of money set aside. So we sought out a midwife, um, and which was a whole crazy thing. Cause midwifery was still illegal in Alabama at the time. So mm-hmm. you had to like go undercover and find these people. And, um, anyway, so I, I found my midwife and ended up having Luna at home. <clears throat> and I just remember as I'm like riding these waves of contractions, it was almost like being in a psychedelic state of mind where I, it was like the first time that I really felt that kind of like primal feeling of being connected to like more than just me, you know, more than just my experience, but like realizing that this was like a bigger thing playing Mm -hmm. out. Like there was like, you know, like a spiritual dimension. And I had really been a really strong atheist for a long time, simply due to my background and and my religious trauma I had experienced. I just shut it all out. So while I'm birthing and going in and out of these like alternate states, I just remember having one moment where I was about to push, where I could feel this like power surging through me. And I just remember feeling like, no matter what's about to happen in my life, like having the sense that something, some big thing was about to happen. no matter what's about to happen, I'm going to be able to handle it. I can do this. And I, I just remember pushing my daughter out and holding her. And it was such a different feel from my first birth. And I, I did, I just felt so invincible. I felt like I could take anything at that point. And, um, coming from like a lineage of women who really kind of like shrunk and hid behind their husbands and, you know, didn't have a job, um, didn't put themselves out in the world um, and didn't cultivate their talents. It it felt so empowering to be the first woman to really do that. So, so from that point on, it was like, all of a sudden I was a force to be reckoned with. Um, And not long after that, I found out my husband had, um, had other relationships outside of our marriage, and you know, there was a lot of lying and inconsistency that had happened. So, you know, slowly that's kind of what led to me eventually moving to divorce him. So, all these things that I had just like shut out and didn't want to deal with. Because when I got divorced, I just wanted to pretend none of that ever happened. (laughs) And I was just going to clean slate all of it. And I was just going to move on and somehow just keep shoving all that to the past and acting like it hadn't happened. And it all just caught up with me. Um, So, here I am in my cocoon and I start diving into tarot and um, diving into astrology. And I had a really good friend of mine at the time um, had done a reading for me. And the reading basically told me that I was going to have this blonde haired individual come into my life and basically help me through a situation and be, be my new love interest. And it ended up happening and he's my current partner. And that was really what drew me to tarot. Cause I was like, Whoa, what, what is this? I have to know more. Um, so I started, my partner got me my first deck during that time. And I started just doing readings on the side here and there for people. Um, and you know, just really started connecting to, um, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, but just like that ability to sort of just like be the, um, what's the word I'm looking for the channel <clears throat> yeah the channel I yeah. guess that's the good word for it there's another maybe it'll come to me um you like the vessel I guess yeah, or I like something to flow through me too channeling sometimes sounds really disconnected for me <laughs> um so I am sensitive around words like that just because of my own experiences um which I know that's a nuanced thing but. Um, but yeah, vessels always felt very appropriate to me. But yeah, I, I started really feeling that and being able to go in and out of that experience and noticing what that was and became more and more intrigued with it. And so then I dove even further into astrology and really started learning like beyond my sun sign, but about my moon and my ascendant and, you know, all of my planets. And I got really interested in my children's charts as well. and. Um, It just became, you know, a new, it was like beyond, you know, just something I was fascinated with after a while, but it became something that was like every single night I was looking up charts and when I would meet people, I would be like, what what time were you born? And I would sit and dissect their chart for them. Um, And I started really heavily diving into Chiron. Um, Are you familiar with like Chiron in the
0: role in birth charts? No, not at all. So please, oh, okay. me everything I need to know. <laughs> Yay, oh my God, Chiron is my favorite. Um,
1: so Chiron is an asteroid and it, um, the story of Chiron is um, the wounded healer. So he basically, his story is, is someone who was wounded and when he, he goes away and he learns to heal himself, then he comes back um, to the public and he's able to offer them the medicine that he has through, you know, through experience, through the experience of having been wounded in that same way and having to heal himself. He then carries the medicine. And I got really fascinated with people's wounds and how it shows up in their chart. Because in the same way it's like it's also your gift. Your wound is also your gift. Um, it's where you have the ability to offer others healing. And the older I've gotten, the more I've kind of come to understand that, you know, when I first got into it, I was thinking of it in this like career level. Like, you know, whatever whatever you have to heal in your life, you're able to make a career out of. But then as I got older, you know, it's sort of sunken in that I think it's more of just a presence. Mm-hmm. I think when you traverse certain areas and you've learned how to heal yourself, that you almost become, ah, the word just came to me, a conduit. You become like a healing conduit for other people. Um, so my Chiron in particular is in my 12th house. Um, And it's in the sign of cancer, which whenever I started learning about that, I was like, oh my God. Um, Because the way that frequently shows up is rejection from the family. Interesting. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Really really interesting. Um, And then in the 12th house, it shows up in subconscious. And um, there's usually like some sort of like mental instability indicated with that as well. And I've definitely had my battles with anxiety and depression. Um, and honestly, it's only been the last two years that I would be able to say that I've been able to lift or see myself out of that depression. Because um, I think I've I've probably been depressed most of my life, um, just given how oppressive my upbringing was. Um, and we can go even further into this, but this is what became really interesting to me is that I started seeing it suggest that um, my chart could also indicate that I was the person who was kind of clearing up karmic stuff in my family Mm. Um, and basically the black sheep of the family, which was totally accurate. Um, And yeah, just out of sensitivity for, for my family. I don't know if any of them will ever listen to this, but you know, I don't want to like go too much into it, but I was basically finding out over the years that I was really being made out to be a really terrible person. Um, and that the story of who I was after I left, um, became totally full of their own projections and, you know, nothing that was actually accurate. Um, and I really felt that wounding, you know, from, even as limited contact as I had with them, I could feel the divide even when I was there and was present. It was very clear that I was not part of that family anymore. Um, so it was something I really had to to grapple with. And <clears throat> being kicked out of the um, coffee shop job, you know, really felt like another version of being kicked out of a family again mm. since they had kind of become my adopted family. Yeah. Um open
0: that wound. Exactly. Yeah. Is the relationship still strenuous with your family?
1: So it's actually so interesting. Um because so it's been over 10 years. Um, because I was kicked out when I was 18. So it's hard to believe it's been so long. Um, but last year things started to kind of shift a little bit. Mm. Um and you know, I would not say that things are, are not strenuous now, but they're definitely um, they're moving towards healing. And I don't know, it's 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 interesting to kind of watch the way it's going, because um, my father actually reached out to me. And I think as, as close to an apology as I'm going to get, at least for a long time, um, sent me a song. Um, I think it's called the living years. It's a really old song, but it's basically the son lamenting that he and his father didn't put their differences aside while he was still in his living years. Ugh. And yeah, it, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a lot for me to take in because, you know, this was something that whenever I first left home I just kept thinking surely that would happen like surely he would apologize surely I would be welcomed back in and it didn't happen and mm-hmm. then for a long time of my life there was like this obsession over if I could just get my father to apologize then everything in my life would be okay again and then it it turned into this total full-blown resentment you know it was like I was so angry about it and blamed my parents for everything that was going wrong in my life. Mm. Um and then there came this point where it just kind of hit me. Um and it was during this cocoon time <laughs> where I was like, why did my parents act that way? You know, like what was going on in their own life that they could kick me out after having kept me so sheltered and pulled away from the world just all of a sudden forced me out into it, you know, because I had to like adjust the total different lifestyle that you know my sheltered home hadn't taught me about and um so I started you know really looking into their past I got really interested in what happened to them and um so around the same time I started working a lot with like crystals Mm -hmm. and I was really drawn to red jasper um in particular because I was really trying to find some way to heal my own sexuality um just because you know I my father projected all of his own um sexual shame onto me basically Mm -hmm. um and that was a really heavy burden to carry from a young age you know like as soon as really as soon as I hit puberty it was like all of a sudden everything became very monitored what I was wearing how I was interacting with boys um you know, I, I felt like there was always eyes on me, like always my father's eyes watching me and monitoring and controlling how I was interacting, what I was wearing, what I was saying. Um, so, you know, I was, I was just like, what, like, where did this all come from? Because I, I had moved kind of out of this way of just like blaming them because they're just terrible parents and really moved into like, they're humans. And they had to have some experience that, you know, shaped them to perceive the world in such a way that they had to protect me to the point where they were like sacrificing their relationship with me, you know? And yeah. Uh, um, so, so yeah, so I start working with red Jasper and I worked with a Yoni egg and I don't, are you familiar with Yoni? eggs? Yes. Yep. Okay. Yay. Um, so, so wild. The story, I love telling the story because it's so crazy to me, but, um, so I, I wear this Yoni egg and, um, I think I wore it for like a week straight and then one day it just popped out and I was trying to put it back in and it was just not going back in. And, um, and I guess, should I explain what Yoni eggs are in case anyone who's listening doesn't yeah, know? Sure. <laughs> <Okay>. yeah, <sure>. <laughs> so, <laughs> so Yoni eggs are crystals and just side note, you should be very, if you're interested in these, make sure that the crystals that you're going to use for this are safe, but they're crystals that you put into your vagina. So, and the idea is that the tissue there is the most absorbent. And so therefore it's the most, um, it's also the most absorbent, I guess, of like the, the vibration of whatever that crystal is. Um, and so, yeah, so I started working with this and, and worked for those seven days came out wouldn't go back in and it was funny because I was like no I want to wear you longer and so I kept trying to put it back in and it wouldn't go in and I was like whatever I guess we're done for a moment so I like go to wash her literally I'm like washing this yoni egg and I went to go like set it by my plant in the windowsill and my mom calls me and my mom and I we talk um But it would just be random and never anything below just like skimming the surface or beyond skimming the surface. Mm -hmm. And she calls me and she basically out of nowhere opens up to me about sexual abuse she had endured as a child. And I just remember at the time, like absorbing all of this and having some recollection of her telling me one time when I was nine years old weary of men and their intentions basically mm. and she kind of gave me a side note to that but she didn't go too into detail well she tells me the full details on the phone and so I just remember like crying with my mom and really just feeling so honored that I was getting to hold that space for her because you know that was like the most in-depth kind of thing we would ever talked about wow. and certainly after everything that had transpired it was kind of surreal to me that she was telling me all this. And, and so she's not into any of the stuff that I'm into. And, you know, they're very much uh, against everything that my life is about, basically. (laughs) But I couldn't help. And I was like, Mom, I have to tell you, like, I've been working with this crystal. And it's for healing sexual trauma in your lineage. And I just, I literally just took it out of my body. And you're calling me to tell me about this. And it was so funny because my mom, you know, it was like, it was such a potent magic feeling where it kind of felt like time and space had like stopped, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And it was just like, it just felt so magical, but it was so healing. And anyway, so that was like a wild experience. And one of the first experiences I had that made me be like, there is definitely something to crystals and there's definitely something to healing your lineage. Um so fast forward like six months later, I worked with the egg again and my mom ends up calling me again. It was like two days later this time, but still she called me again just to let me know that she had spoken with her parents about it. And it was the first time that it had ever been addressed. Like nobody had ever said anything about it happening. Yeah. Um so yeah, it was just another one of those wild things where you know and I kind of told my mom was like so crazy because I'm working with that egg again and she kind of laughed a little bit this time (laughs) I don't think she took it as seriously um so so bringing it back to where we are now it's interesting because I feel like in a way that so much of my purpose um is tied into healing like long standing patterns within my family. Mm, mm-hmm. Um and in a way even my father reaching out to me um you know when he did it's like I'm I'm really at a place where I have made peace because I I did so much investigating into their lives you know before children before they met their own childhoods and you know I actually went and spent so much time with my dad's mom and talked to her about her pregnancies, her marriages, you know, what my dad was like growing up and, you know, just really went into all this stuff and kind of walked away just realizing that like my dad struggles with the same things that I do, Mm -hmm. you know, he just, he didn't realize he was passing it on, but he did. And I, you know, speaking with my grandmother, I I see where a lot of his, um, you know, kind of extreme Religious views came from, and they were probably born out of fear as well. Because my grandmother's a pretty fearful person. Um, And same with my mom. I think, you know, everything that happened to her at such a young age, you know, I think she's very fearful of the world. And, um, you know, no one ever spoke with her about her experience. And I just can't imagine. I mean, she was four years old the first time that it happened you know, and it, it never gets talked about. I can't imagine traversing the world, you know, not having anyone to share that with and, and yeah. help you understand what happened. Yeah, and then raising seven girls. Right. Yeah. Wow. I just, yeah. And yeah, it's like going through all that, my pain aside, I developed this newfound respect for my parents because I was like, they are a hardy bunch. Like <laughs> they definitely have their issues and they definitely have made mistakes, but I know that their, their heart was never to be malicious and I know they were doing their best, but they were just so bound up in these patterns, you know, and there, it's, it's hard when you're, you're dealing with your own demons, so to speak, and your own mental afflictions um, yeah. to make decisions from like a centered place. So, so yeah, so
0: I'm not really sure from this. I feel like I've just been on a monologue for so long. It's been beautiful. I I think it's such a beautiful thing that you're able to recognize that about your parents because I think it's such a real thing that the trauma, the multi-generational trauma that we Mm carry and the fact that you can step outside that and recognize that your parents went through some shit and then yeah, yes, they projected it onto you, but detaching yourself from that and seeing it from a point that, and anyone just seeing it from a point that our parents are mere humans, just like us. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we just hold them at this really high place. And like you said, they never meant to do anything malicious, but I think since we have such a very strong, almost- authoritative relationship with our parents sometimes we yeah that it's not always they did it on purpose
1: right yeah no and it's like it's so funny now because you know we're kind of in this interesting place where we're sort of slowly re-navigating a relationship and I know that both of my parents want it and it's so funny because my dad actually um I was at the house the other day and he he was like, hey, I want your opinion on something. And I was like, yeah. And he like walked into this room, they're redoing. And he was like, yeah, I he was like, this is not my expertise, but uh, what do you think about curtains in this room and how would you arrange it? And and it was so sweet to me because it was just like, if there was one thing my dad and I bonded over, because there was not very much, honestly, that we were able to talk about. My dad and I were always butting heads growing up. Um, but one thing we really did have in common was like, we loved watching like home redecorating shows. Oh, yes. And, and it's funny too, cause my mom would always tell me that, um, Joanna Gaines, which yes. is, I guess she has a show. Um, they're always like, every time we watch this, we just go on and on about how she reminds us so much of you. <laughs> and so in a way they've been kind of like offering their own little olive branch. And wow. so that's been really just been really sweet to witness like I know I know they want healing to happen too um and yeah for me it's like whenever I'm ready to be ready to step into that I know it's going to be there but yeah it's definitely I've had to let go of it being on my terms Mm -hmm. which I think is a really difficult thing um you know it's like I'm having to excuse me, except that I have to heal my own inner child. Like my parents are not going to do that for me, you know? And even, and that's the funny thing is like, even if they did do all the things that I thought I wanted, it's like, it's really been the awareness lately that that wouldn't do anything anyway. Like I would still have that inner wounded child. There's really nothing my parents could say at this point that would heal it. Because now it's it's my own thing to deal with. You know, it's my own mm-hmm. thing to work with and heal. Um. And like I said, I think that's, I think that is a hard pill to swallow for those of us that have had a really tumultuous relationship with our parents is accepting that even if they did and were the way that we feel like would have made our childhood perfect or whatever, like it's not going to fix anything now. Um, It's really up to us to heal it. Yeah. And what about your sisters? So that's been a whole interesting thing too. Um, you know, for a long time there, as I was kind of made out to be the bad kid, I was sort of ostracized from them too, which it would be really weird because I would go home and visit, you know, like right after I had my first one and right after I had my second daughter and, and I could feel the kind of like clicky vibe of like, it was them and me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as they all got older and started, you know, becoming their own individual people, um, like once they would leave home, they usually they were still kind of avoidant of me, but they would slowly make their way back to me. And and at this point now we've all we all have a a relationship and all of us have been working to um like we did Christmas and Thanksgiving together last year. Um and the year before we had it at one of my sisters who's now married and has her own place. We did it at her place um so there's kind of been this reestablishing relationships on our terms and as adults now um although <clears throat> the youngest one is still my youngest sibling is 11 so she's still at home and then my other younger sibling is 16 mm-hmm. or she just turned 17 so but I do have much better relationships with them um and they come over to my house more frequently. It's been a more and more okay thing. Um, and then let's see the others I have a sister who lives in Orlando and she's a full cool teacher teacher and like travels the world. And she's, she's just awesome. And um, other sister who lives closer by and is married. And then another sister close by and we're all on good terms. We all have a, a good relationship. So, and it's been really healing to talk to them because they they have very different experiences from our childhood, you know, and it's interesting how everyone was in the same house and experiencing similar things, but, you know, it was still a very different experience. And I don't, I do think that I tend to hold on to the most resentment about things, Mm -hmm. um, which, which is understandable, I think, but also interesting to me that so many people can, can be raised in the same way but not have the same negative connotations or anyways that's been yeah
0: interesting how is your whole experience with your family and healing the lineage how has it changed how you show up as a mother
1: oh my god that's that's exactly like my children are what changed it you know because and I often think you know, I have people ask me all the time, do you regret having children so young? And I'm like, you know, if you had asked me when I was 20, at times I would have been like, yes. You know, if you had asked me when I was 22, 23, 24, I would have been like, yes. Not all the time, but it was a frequent thing that came up of feeling like, did I ruin my life having kids so young? You know, like, why did I do this to myself? And at this point, I just, I look back and see how all of it, I, like, I couldn't have I couldn't have chosen the things that I did better because if it were not for my children and then forcing me to look at my behavior and to really look at, you know, raising a kid and really look into the psychology of that and look into, you know, how do you keep from traumatizing your children? Basically, like how do you raise them to be able to be free thinkers and to be able to, um, to be their authentic self and to accept them for that, you know, Um, I just, I feel like I would be on a totally different wavelength. I feel like I could still be running from it, you know, but having children and, and recognizing that I did not want to do to them what I felt like had been done to me, I just got so much more serious about my life at a young age. And now at 29, I feel like I have a view on the world that you know if I had chosen a different path I might just now be getting around to developing
0: if that yeah. makes sense. yeah no um, I totally get it and I think one of the things I've loved the most of talking to women on this podcast is just that collective experience of how motherhood just rips you open spiritually oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah
1: it does And then like, so my oldest now is 10 and talk about Amir, like there are so many times when I want to be frustrated with her about something. And I'm just like, I cannot, I cannot be mad at you because you come by it so honestly, like you are literally me at 10 years old (laughs) and it has provided such a window into, you know, understanding like, I have such a broader perspective on things than my own mother did when she was raising me at this age. Mm -hmm. So I can understand as much as she, my 10-year-old is challenging me now with the perspective that I have. I understand now why I scared the mess out of my parents, you know, like why Mm -hmm. I really was a handful for them and why I did get a lot of the projections because I really... (laughs) <laughs> wasn't here to play anyone else's game, you know like i was here to do my own thing and i see that so much in my daughter and you know it's so humbling to to really see that clear mirror um and to know like i don't know to be able to reflect back on my own experience and then you know figure out how am i going to step out of the way and let her be yourself um so yeah, I I don't know what made me think of this, but um I was actually listening to a podcast um Mythic Medicine um mm-hmm. with Amber Magnolia, I believe is her name. And uh she was talking to um Erin Merriman Rivera, I believe is her name. And they were talking about um she was talking about mothering and motherhood, and she was saying that you know at one point she decided to kind of take on the name Yaya, and she realized that that was um, a name that her mother had gone by. And she said, and through that experience, she realized that you know to have a daughter and to be a mother is basically just to realize that it's the same essence of a being, so to speak, mm-hmm. just filtered through a different set of specific experiences um in life and I don't know there was something about that that was just so potent and beautiful to me because I can think of all the times I've seen myself in my mother as a mother and knowing her experiences that she had that shaped her and really understanding you know the fearful little girl that's been inside of her um and and Seeing my own life, and then looking at my daughters and knowing they're exacting me just through a different um, lens or filter and, and life experience. And yeah, that's it's, really it's beautiful. All, yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's been such a pleasure hearing your story, and I know it will mean a lot to a lot of women out there because i think a lot of us have parental strained parental relationships Mm -hmm. and so i like to end this podcast on words of wisdom for anyone out there who just needs that that words of encouragement today so what are your wise words to end on
1: oh wow um hmm. I think the the wisest thing I have, especially in reference to everything you have talked about is to, you know, when you feel like you're ready to stop running and, and face whatever it is, because whatever it is holds the medicine that you're seeking.
0: Thank you for listening to the Enlightened podcast, a movement that empowers mindful motherhood and celebrates every journey. If you would like to be part of our community of amazing and soulful women, find us on Instagram at Enlightened For real motherhood stories and inspirational articles, you can check us out online at EnlightenedHood.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Until next time, you mindful mamas.